That would be really helpful. Thank you so much. Well, it's um, a real honour uh, and privilege to be with you guys today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, I've been a bit of a fan of yours uh, for a while and have uh, tracked your uh, journey, uh, watching what God's doing and um, really uh, love all the stuff that you carry in terms of your heart to see Bradford transformed and communities changed to lift people out of poverty and to see them transformed. And so I feel really at home. It's great to see some friendly faces already and then to meet some new people. Um, just want to introduce myself a little bit. I'm um, married to Paul. Paul's, I think, the best pastor in the world. He's an incredible, um, gifted uh, guy who background in um, psychi- psychiatry, really understands people, and he really helps us in terms of bringing our church into wholeness. I'm nothing like that, so I'm like a, more of a kind of crazy ideas person who likes to go out and make a mess and um, have different people clear up after me. Uh, we together, we lead our uh, location of a multi-site church, so the church has seven locations. Stuart and Irene Bell are our senior pastors, and um, the church is mainly in the east of England, and we're part of a network called Ground Level. My uh, passion is to see the church mobilized uh, and to be the strong bride that uh, God created her to be, to see her go into every strata of society to bring kingdom transformation and light uh, wherever she's planted. And so as part of my role in Lincoln, I oversee and connect with all our community engagement work and do a load of stuff in the city as well, uh, in church unity in the city. But I also sit on um, the ground level network, the the network of churches that we belong to. It's about 80 churches. I sit on the leadership team for that. And uh, my role is around uh, helping or equipping the church leaders to think, how do we mobilize the church for influence? into uh, cities and communities. Actually, when I say cities, our network of churches is really rural network, so there's only one city, it's Lincoln. And then the rest of them are like in lots of different communities and um, rural places around usually uh, the East Midlands, Lincolnshire, from the Humber to the Wash. Uh, we've got a dream to see uh, God do something there and, uh, and something break out into the rest of the nation. So there's about 80 churches uh, that we connect with, and I love going around to different churches and seeing the way the body of Christ reflects the image of God in so many uh, beautiful, diverse, unique uh, ways. And um, I've loved the way that uh, over the last couple of decades, the church has really mobilized herself to engage with people in poverty. In fact, uh, uh, we've tracked with CAP for about 12, 13 years now uh, as a local church and just really inspired by those of you that connect with CAP and also uh, TLG, the, uh, from this body, the way that you uh, have mobilized and enabled the whole nation to respond to issues of poverty, really inspired by that. But as I feel um, something in my spirit about the next uh, incremental step of kingdom advancement that we're going to take as a church in the nation. I feel like there's got to be more than just uh, community engagement at that level. There's got to be more that God wants to do in terms of mobilizing not just um, a bunch of people in the church to do certain community projects, but there's got to be more in terms of mobilizing the church to see people go into every uh, strata and um, system of society to bring kingdom light wherever they're planted. And I feel like something we're on the edge of something. I feel like God's going to do something in our nation, uh, for the nations and for the people who live in darkness. He's going to bring light. And it's great that you guys uh, prophetically name yourself the light church. I love that. 
So um, I was introducing myself, wasn't I? I'm, um, I'm a mum. I've got two children. Uh, Finley's nine and Poppy's six. Uh, they're brilliant. I love a bit of a mum ministry juggle of trying to do all those things and family. I love uh, food. I love Yorkshire from uh, Homeforth in, uh, near Huddersfield originally. And um, it's really nice to be back here in the hills. And uh, just uh, by way of introduction, I want to tell you a little embarrassing moment of mine. You know, when someone says, what's your most embarrassing moment? No one really ever tells the truth, do they? (laughs) They never really say what their most embarrassing moment is. So just for the record, this isn't my most embarrassing moment. And if you get to know me later, maybe I'll tell you my actual one. But this is pretty high up there in terms of uh, awkwardness. So uh, when I was 15, I used to work as a waitress not in a cocktail bar, but uh, in an Italian restaurant uh, in Homeforth. Uh, it's called Papa Piccolino's. Uh, it was a relatively posh restaurant, a nice place for uh, people to go uh, the weekend and have really nice Italian food. And um, uh, one uh, Saturday night, I remember, I was waitressing, and a, uh, a girl my age from my uh, year at school came into the restaurant with her mum, and they sat on their table for two, and they ordered their food. And one of the things that we used to really love about um, working there was uh, when we'd watch the people uh, on the tables eating the delicious food and then leaving a little bit, um, we'd know that we could get the food, run off into the kitchen, and then enjoy the scraps at the end of it. It's pretty gross, isn't it? (laughs) There's more to come. So uh, uh, this girl who's in my year at school, she's one of the cool kids, and uh, I didn't, um, I, know, I didn't really know her. I knew uh, of her, and uh, she's probably a bit too cool for me to talk to. And uh, she ordered a nice meal. They were having it, obviously, with a mum, a bit nice mum and daughter time. And um, at the end of her meal, she, for dessert, she ordered my most favourite pudding. We used to serve this thing called Dime Bar Crunch Pie. don't know if anyone's ever had it. You can get it from Booker's. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, they've changed the recipe now, though, so it's slightly different to what it was uh, back in the day. But it, it had a really delicious, thick, chocolate uh, digestive biscuit base and then a really uh, super sweet uh, caramel layer with then another thick layer of vanilla custardy kind of sweet stuff with then like chocolate drizzled on top and then uh, a little dime bar uh, placed on top. And she ordered that and I'd recommended it. This is amazing. And she sat down and she took one bite and then uh, pushed it to one side. And I had a kind of dual reaction of, oh, I feel a bit embarrassed that I said that was really nice and she clearly doesn't like it. Mixed with this sense of delight that I'm going to get to finish that whole pie off in the kitchen afterwards. So uh, as I uh, was watching and wondering, is it safe to go and clear the table? I approached them and said, uh, with a sense of anticipation and excitement, saliva's like gathering in my throat and my mouth thinking, I'm going to get to eat this pie. And I said, have you finished? And as I did it, my saliva erupted and dribbled all over the table, not just on the table, but on her arm. And then I said, oh, so sorry, and like tried to wipe it off with nothing and grabbed the plate and ran into the kitchen. And then for the rest of the evening, while they were still in the restaurant, I just hid in the kitchen, completely mortified that I just dribbled on the cool kids from school <laughs> as a 15-year-old, hoping and praying that uh, she wouldn't tell anyone at school and feeling really a bit of shame of my skeffiness of like not paying for my food and just eating hers. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that, but that's one of my most embarrassing moments. And... Um, 
I sometimes think about the church in the UK, and as I think about myself hiding in the kitchen, I also think that perhaps a little bit, the light of the world who was called to be a city on the hill, perhaps is slightly hiding in the kitchen. And I would have been really happy that night for someone just to put a bowl on my head and not let anyone else see me. But Jesus says no one lights a lamp and puts uh, a bowl, uh, puts it under a bowl. But instead, uh, we light a lamp and we put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And I love how uh, Bill Heibel says the church is the hope of the world. In fact, Jesus says the church is the light of the world. But I think we sometimes hide in the kitchen. We must be hiding a little bit in the kitchen when we look at Uh, the nation and the state of the nation because I think our nation needs hope some of it feels broken feels like we've got a whole load of uncertainty and anxiety hanging over us our leaders feel a bit visionless there's a polarization between uh, different extremes we've got inequalities health inequality wealth inequality we've got austerity austerity we've got confusion it feels like it's a bit broken and I think Paul says this really well in Romans 8 when he says creation is subject to futility in Romans 8 verse 20 that's from the English standard version futility And Solomon, uh, when he's on a bit of a downer in Ecclesiastes, he uses this same word, futility, to say life's meaningless. Everything is purposeless. In fact, life lacks purpose. And that's what Paul's saying. Somehow, uh, in Romans, creation lacks purpose. But it wasn't always like that, was it? Uh, We weren't created to lack purpose. In fact, in the book of Genesis... Uh, We know in Genesis 1, uh, God uh, created the whole of creation. And as he made it, he stood back, he looked around and he said, oh, that's good. That's really good. Well, he said, that's good. And then he made Adam and Eve or humanity in his image. It says, in the image of God, uh, he created them. He made them to rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air to of every living creature uh, that uh, is upon the earth. And he said, uh, go and fill the earth, subdue it. He gave us a mandate to be rulers and leaders over the creation that he says is good, but he never said it was finished. He said it was good. He looked at us. He said, that's very good. And then he said, go and fill it. Keep on creating. The way that I've made you in my image as a creator God has made creative people keep on going and make it better. And we know that it finishes right in the book of Revelation with a city, the city of God. John sees a vision and he sees a city coming down from heaven, a new Jerusalem, and he declares over it. There's no more brokenness or sadness. There's no more mourning. All the tears have wiped away. And it kind of speaks to me of a garden uh, of uh, purpose, not meaninglessness, but purpose, and then a city of hope where we get to live in the middle and we get to create something uh, following the uh, being made in his image. But we also find ourselves right in the middle of that story, that big picture of creation uh, to renewal. We find ourselves in a bit of a messy bit in the middle, don't we, with the brokenness of the world. And uh, in Genesis 3, we know that when humanity fell, creation also fell and brokenness and sin and poverty and disease and selfishness entered the world but we also know 
that Jesus came. And he came to uh, recommission us back into relationship with God as co-creators, uh, as co-heirs, as co-workers, to be uh, with God, to do the thing that he first created us to do, to uh, walk with him in relationship with him. Jesus came to uh, forgive us of our sin and to heal us and to put us back on track, to save us through uh, adoption with his father. And that's what I want to speak about. I want you to turn to uh, Romans 8. And we're going to look at uh, this adoption story, what Jesus has done for us and who we now are. Let me read to you. I'm going to read from the NIV, Romans 8, verse 15. If you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Let's give a bit of background uh, on this stuff. Paul's speaking to the church in Rome that just uh, been born, and he's trying to give them some instructions from how to, of how to live. And he starts to use an analogy of adoption for them so that they could understand their new status as children of God, as Christians, as followers of the way. And in Rome, there's a, a particular way of adopting uh, children uh, that's really different to UK 21st century adoption. So in the UK, we adopt children so that uh, we can give them love and security, so we can bring them into a family. It's, it's full love. And in Rome, they uh, used adoption slightly differently. Uh, Rome and the Middle East in the first century was a patriarchal society, which means that like the men are in charge. And when... Uh, the male, the eldest male in the family, he was like the boss of the family. And uh, without another male, the family line finishes. And that's like really important to them. If the family line finishes, then they feel they've got uh, no kind of inheritance or legacy in the world. And so if there was no male in the family, uh, the eldest male would look to adopt, usually a slave, uh, into their family, a young boy who can continue their uh, family line and uh, legacy. So adoption was for legacy and the continuation of the family line. And the people who are reading this letter to the Romans, they would have really known that. So they would have really understood what it means to be adopted and why you would be adopted. They would also understand that there's three consequences to Roman um, adoption in the Roman times. The first one is, once you're adopted, all your old family uh, rights... And your old family connections are completely gone. It's as if your family are dead to you. You don't get to see them anymore. You no longer have the rights of that family. And you get new rights into the new family you've been adopted in. The second thing is uh, the adopted son inherits the whole estate, even if more sons follow. Uh, They become co-heirs together. And so when the father dies, they get to inherit all of the father's riches. And the third thing is that all their debts from their old family are cancelled. And I love the way that uh, Paul then describes that as for new followers of Jesus. We get those three things too. We get a new life in a new family. All our old life, the stuff of our old life has gone and we get new rights. 
we get to inherit everything that Jesus gets. So he's our big brother. We're in his family and we get to connect with Jesus and with God in the same, we get to connect with God, our father, in the same way Jesus gets to connect with God. I don't know if you just let that sink in. Jesus, the redeemer of the whole world, the one who inherits the whole world, the one with fire in his eyes, we get the same rights that he has as our big brother. And the third thing is, all debts are cancelled. We no longer have the stuff around our neck that used to hang around our neck as sinners, but we get to walk into the presence of God clean and pure. We get to come out of the kitchen and into the whole world with no shame or sin around us. We've got a right to sit at the table. I love those words that came through. In fact, God spoke to me really powerfully and personally about this this week as I've been preparing. And uh, uh, Paul talks about the spirit being uh, your witness to to your adoption. And in the old uh, adoption ceremony, they'd call seven witnesses, seven people of standing in the community to watch and say, this little guy who's now been adopted will be co-heir with you. He gets to inherit everything. Uh, We've seen this. So no one can ever uh, back out of this uh, piece of legislation now. This is final. The seven witnesses are there to prove it. And Paul says the spirit is your witness to your new adoption. And so whenever you're feeling like, I don't really think that I'm really a child of God, call on the Holy Spirit, the one who was there when you were adopted, when you were named as co-heir with Jesus. He'll remind you of your status and the consequences of your adoption. And our adoption with Jesus into relationship with our Father isn't just for our own sense of love and our own sense of connection, our own sense of feeling okay again. There's massive consequences for the whole of creation, as we'll see. If we read from uh, verse 18 to 22, Paul continues to say this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration or futility, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. I just want to talk to you about this little phrase, waiting in eager anticipation. Uh, The Greek word is this, I'm going to try and tell you, I don't know Greek, I just googled it. It says, uh, it is apokaradokia, apokaradokia. And it literally means like waiting in the pit of who you are in eager expectation or in anxious expectation. Like there's something that's like churning in creation. In this moment, Paul, as he's writing, he like personifies creation, gives creation a personality. And he's kind of saying creation is stood on her tiptoes with her neck outstretched, looking, searching across the whole of humanity. Who are those people? Who's the ones who are the adopted ones? Can I see them? Who are the ones that are going to come? They're going to liberate me from my bondage and my decay. Where are they? She's like groaning and aching and longing for something of the, uh, the people of God, the adopted ones, to show themselves, to come out of the kitchen, to reveal themselves to the world so that she can be liberated. You know, our world is broken. We're torn apart by war. 
One-fifth of all people, 1.5 billion people are affected by war and violence. Can you feel like the aching in creation? She stood on a tiptoe. She's looking. Who's going to set me free? Who's going to bring peace to the world? 230 million children live in areas affected by armed conflicts. You know, in the UK, black and minority ethnic groups are more likely to live in poverty than white British people. There's a groaning and an aching in creation for equality and freedom, the things that God would want us to set right. Can you feel it? Can you hear the groaning in your city, the aching in Bradford? Globally, women earn less than men and are concentrated in jobs with poor working conditions Two-thirds of the 774 million illiterate adults are women. More than 83,000 kids are in care, and those kids in care in the UK are more likely to have poor education, leave school with fewer qualifications, are at higher risk of offending. Can you feel the groaning in creation, the aching that we need to do something, some liberation needs to come? We need to see uh, people set free and walk into uh, the glorious inheritance that God has got for them. 59 million people in the world are displaced refugees who don't have a home. Isn't it brilliant that we could wake up this morning in our home? Home, but 59 million people in our world don't have that. At least 21 million people are bought and sold as slaves, many as sex slaves in our world. Can you feel the groaning? Can you see creation on our tiptoes with a neck outstretched, looking, wondering, who's going to set me free? Who's going to liberate me from my bondage? 13 million people in the UK live below the poverty line. What are we going to do about it? I know you guys are doing loads about it, but with the nation, the body of Christ, what are we going to see done about that? Because there's a groaning, there's an aching in our nation for the children of God to come out of the kitchen and to stand knowing who she's being called to be, the body of Christ, the bride. This passage talks about a future hope. Uh, one day the earth will be completely renovated and restored back to its original intention. Uh, John, uh, like I said before, uh, Jesus' friend, he sees a vision and he writes it down. At the end of the Bible in Revelation, he sees uh, this picture of a beautiful city, a restored city, a city that's full of hope coming down from uh, the heavens. But in the meantime, the children of God need to shine their light, need to reveal ourselves. We need to say, this is who I've been made to be, and uh, I'm going to be the person that God has created me to be, not just for the sake of myself, but for the sake of the longing and the groaning of creation. You know, this week I said, God really spoke to me about um, that embarrassing moment in the restaurant. I kind of knew that I wanted to tell that story, and uh, was asking God, like, it's, it's okay, I don't mind <laughs> embarrassing myself and telling you guys that I dribbled on the table. I kind of thought I'd got over it. And then it was just mulling around in my head this week. And I felt like um, a shame come back on me. Like the kind of shame that I felt when I did run into the kitchen is it's like a funny story. But um, I really didn't want to go out there because I didn't want uh, my friend or the person who's in my year group to see me. I felt like... Uh, Again, maybe there's something connected to some of my behavior right now in my normal life right now and how perhaps I just don't think I'm good enough and perhaps I don't step out or maybe I think I'm just a bit too much and so I'm going to dribble somewhere and I'm going to look like a, like a weirdo. And God spoke to me and he said, I didn't make you to eat other people's crumbs in the first place. I didn't make you to wait for 
uh, the people that you're serving to finish and then for you to run off in shame and eat in the kitchen. He said to me, which is so cool that you guys have heard this this morning as well. He said to me, I created you to have a seat at the table and I'll prepare a table in the presence of your enemies so that you get to eat of the good stuff. But then uh, instead of uh, serving and running around and trying to help other people with hunger in my heart and not really feeling connected to who God's made me to be and running into the kitchen and eating in shame and uh, hiddenness, he says, you can sit at the table and then we get to create the pies and the delicious food for the whole world to eat. We get to do it together because I called you not as a slave, but as a friend. And so the outworking of that is similar. Still get to be a waitress in uh, the the world, the restaurant of life. still get to serve people. I still get to give my life sacrificially to people. But I do it knowing that I've got a place at the table with my father and he's called me to eat with him first so then we can feed the whole of the world. I love that. It's good. I love that. In Psalm 23, it says that, and that uh, we've heard this morning, that we take from the table what we need, and uh, he will sustain and nourish us because we're his children, not because we're slaves. So just as I'm closing, I wonder if the, um, the Mark and the band would um, come. We're just going to allow God to stir something in your hearts. Perhaps you don't hide in the kitchen, um, and maybe your story is completely different. But as we finish, I just want you to imagine where God's planted you and placed you. I want you to imagine our nation. If you're a big picture thinker, imagine the nation and the nations. If you find that difficult and that's a bit overwhelming, why don't you think, where are you going to go tomorrow, Monday morning? Where's God planted you and placed you? And I want you to think, what would it look like if you came out of hiding? What does your kitchen look like? What do you run to? when you're trying to cover yourself up, put the bowl on your head and let no one see who you really are. And ask yourself the question, what would it look like for you to live out of your original purpose that God created you? The Bible says, he knew you from the beginning of time. Ephesians 2 talks about us being uh, his masterpiece that he created for good works long, long, long ago. So if he's made you to be his masterpiece and he wants you to shine, what does it look like for you to really shine? What does it look like for us to be a courageous people in the public square? For us to do more? For us to infiltrate every system and strata of society? For people in education and health? For people in design? For people in the media and the arts? For people in hospitality? What does it look like for us to come out of the kitchen and to uh, place ourselves in the restaurant of life at the table? To ask God for creativity to solve problems. I love... um, You know, the guy Elon Musk, who's got that audacity to think, I'm going to populate Mars. And then I heard he was in traffic in LA and he was bored. He was like, why do I have to sit in traffic for so long in this city? So he decides to make an underground traffic system to speed it up. Now, he's not redeemed as far as I know. He doesn't know Jesus, but he has like this adopted mindset, this like like wealth mindset that says we can do anything. But imagine if the people of God decided to do that. 
Imagine if loads more John Kirkby's stood up and said, I've got what I've got in my hand and I can see people in our nation liberated from debt and I'm going to do it. I can do it because I'm a son. Imagine if there were loads more people in this place. And I feel the word that God would speak over the Light Church in Bradford today is, you are people who reflect God. Not everyone is called to be John Kirkby, but you're all called to be you as individuals. (laughs) You're all called to bring something of the image of God to uh, your city and your community. Maybe you reflect his image with compassion. Maybe you have the care and the nurturing side of God. Perhaps you bring order where there's chaos, or you like to create rules and boundaries so that people can live with a sense of safety, bring protection to people. Perhaps you have an innovation thing in you, reflecting the creator God who innovated out of nothing. I feel the word over this church today would be, there's a pioneering spirit amongst you that will uh, let something rise up for the nation, that uh, the debt stuff and the TLG stuff is just the first fruits, that there's more for our nation in terms of mobilizing the church to see her become everything that she was created to be. Whatever it is that God's put in your hand, I just would challenge you to say, God, show me what it is. And I'm going to live not as a slave in the kitchen with shame on me because I might dribble everywhere. I'm going to live as a child, as an adopted son that gets a seat at the table to sit there with my father and to co-create for the nation. I get to bring new solutions to problems that where there's brokenness. I get to bring uh, beauty out of ashes because I walk the journey with my creator. I think we're going to sing and we'll just declare over ourselves again we're not slaves anymore we're children i just wonder if as we prepare to do that you just stand to your feet i would love to pray for us all and i just want to thank you jesus thank you for my revelation that you gave to me personally that i've got a seat at the table you prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies And you nourish us and you feed us and you give everything that we need. But thank you as well that it doesn't just end here, but that we get to bring creation into liberation. The longing and the aching of this city, I thank you that the answers are in this room. The longing and the brokenness, I thank you that you've put uh, the solutions in this room. And I pray right now that you'd open up hearts to hear you. That you'd open up hearts to receive freedom from shame freedom from captivity and power and the mind of Christ to know uh, where to go and what to do and how to uh, position ourselves. And together as the body, we say and we commit, we position ourselves for service out of a knowledge and understanding that we're children, that you'll split the sea, that you have split the sea. You've made a way. And the aching and the longing of creation will be liberated because of the hope in us. Amen. You unravel me with a melody. You 